so uh, talking about people who need a good slap now and then we have the other extreme which is mother india where she doesn't discipline her son at all for years and years and years and then finally has to shoot him dead because that's the only way she can stop him <laughs> mother india's got to be the best example of how not to bring up your children i mean that movie is just so full of bad parenting i mean you have the father who just skedaddles in the middle of the night and just goes like oh yeah you'll be better off without me poof and it's like clearly they're not better off without you you self-pitying moron you've seen the movie uh beth how do you like it so i was talking with carla of filmy geek about mother india and she and i both loved it but i also never want to see it again it's so draining their life is so horrible <laughs> Although I've got to say, not nearly as horrible as Choti Babu's, <laughs> not that I've seen that. So, I had thought that Mother India was going to be this humongously self-sacrificing, crying all the time, weepy woman whose life is full of loss and all that kind of stuff. And she didn't read like that to me. And I actually think she's incredibly fierce. She makes some bad choices regarding her son. Absolutely. I don't think that she's perfect, nor do I think the film says that she's perfect. But that ending is incredible. And to see a woman so <laughs> convinced that she is correct, sort of morally, ethically correct, that she kills her own son is amazing to me. And if you contrast her with someone like Nirupa Roy and Duvar, you know, she's never going to kill Amitabh Bachchan's character. No, <laughs> she gets mother, her son to kill the other son, right? Right. She makes her son, yeah, she has her son do it. And no, I don't want to be like her. I don't want to have to make the choices that she makes because, as you say, she, she babies him for so long. And as, a, as an outsider, learning about Indian culture, mainly through films, but also talking with people a lot, the sort of mama's boyness in Indian culture is fascinating to me. It's so beautifully crystallized in that film, <laughs> beautifully represented by this just horrendous guy that she will not see for who he really is until it's too late. And I thought that the performance is, she's phenomenal in that film. And I can see why it's such a classic. What I don't see is why the term Mother India seems to connote what it does when the depiction in the film is so very different. Well, I think that was just, um, I think the guy who directed it was a huge communist. And it's full of socialist image, uh, images, like entirely through it. I mean, the whole, <laughs> I mean, she actually has a scene where she's got a stack of wheat over her shoulder and a sickle and like her two sons are leaning against her and it's like hello soviet india yeah <laughs> i think it builds on the hindu idea of devi or the mother goddess as this nurturing figure who can also destroy you completely uh, it sounds like bullshit but i'm saying it out loud um, <laughs> And it's kind of exotica stuff that I always like to sneer at. But it really fits in, this, in the case of this film. You know, it's the Earth Mother who gives birth to you, feeds you, nourishes you, takes care of you. And then if you transgress and if you attempt to wound the soil from which you are born in some way, then, you know, she will also punish you, um, even up to taking your life away. And the director kind of marries that to communist or socialist ideal imagery by, you know, the whole sickle and the wheat and the, you know. 
the character herself rejects religion right kind of as a force in her own life doesn't she which i thought was really interesting and there's that great scene of her yelling at the goddess Mm. another little bit about the ending that i love is that the son who is destroyed is destroyed because he's mistreating a woman right you know and i don't feel like that's something we see a whole lot of either like he is going to take that woman away completely against her wishes against the wishes of everyone in the village including his mother and his brother it's his sister-in-law right i mean he is transgressing in so many ways and he does not make it out of the film alive and for once i was really kind of (laughs) That was very satisfying. You know, he he was not a sustainable character. My problem mostly with Mother India is, uh, okay, I must admit I've not seen the whole film. I've seen it in parts and it really, really annoys me. I don't think I can ever sit down and watch the whole thing ever. And most of the problems is, A, I know it's supposed to be a metaphor for all of India's problems. It's It reminds me a bit of this childhood joke we used to have, that there was this very rich girl, and she went, uh, in school, she was supposed to write an essay about a poor man. So, you know, she's a rich girl. She never knew a poor man. So what she wrote was, there was this really poor man. He lived in a very poor house, and his uh, gardener was extremely poor. His driver was very, very poor. His cook was really, really, really poor. And that's what seems to come through in Mother India, that, okay, rural people, they have life really hard, and you have famines, and you have uh, floods, and you have accidents, and they all happen in this sequence. And, you know, the the griefs just keep on piling one after the other. And that seems to be the idea of rural India. And, you know, anything that can possibly be bad happens. And all that bad, all those bad things happen to her. The other thing I have a problem with is people who stay good in spite of every adversity when they see that their goodness is not being rewarded. Okay, she doesn't ever do anything, uh, what should I say, you know, take to the oldest profession, for example, or, you know, take to stealing or something like that. What? Mother India as a whore? How dare you? (laughs) Well, isn't there a scene where she goes to the money lender and she's willing to spend the night with him so that her children don't die of hunger? And I don't see why she doesn't go that path. He offers and she says no, right? She fights him off or something. She goes and she thinks about it, like she considers it, I think. But then... um, her better nature tells her to endure <laughs> rather than to submit. So she fights him off and runs off. And that's why her younger son really, really hates the moneylender so much. Because I, I don't remember how he found <laughs> out about the moneylender. I don't, I don't know if that actually played into it. But, uh, you know, like you said, you know, this is a movie that I saw once and then I've seen like clips of it all throughout my life. And every time I see it, I'm amazed by how shrill everything is. The first time I saw it as a child, I didn't think it was that way. I mean, everything seemed to be normal. And then I didn't see it for a few years. And then I was passing by a classroom in college and they had like an introduction to Bollywood class professor had mother india playing and i just i just heard like nargis screeching her head off and i thought wait a minute what is that and i put my head in and it was mother india and ever since then you know it's just been like squeaky make squeak screech yeah not a fan one of the things I think is interesting about the film is that the horrible situation that her family finds itself in, including when her husband is still present and uninjured, 
<laughs> is because of her husband's mother. It's her husband's mother who mortgages the farm to pay for the wedding. And so it's her bad financial practice that sets all of this into motion. And I don't feel like the film discusses that really. When I was watching the film, I just realized at one point that the mother-in-law figure had disappeared. I don't even remember her dying. She just sort of vanishes. But I thought that that was kind of interesting so that we have these two, I don't want to call them matriarch characters exactly, but they're sort of like that, that we have these two women who are making all the decisions in this film and then everything else follows from what they choose to do. And I can't think of very many other films or any actually, even in the months since I've seen this, that that is the structure of the story. It's very women driven. And for that alone, I think it's really interesting, even if that doesn't make it good necessarily, but that seems fairly unique to me. Well, to me, it seems that they're not making decisions, but they're reacting to circumstances and they're reacting in ways that, you know, fall in the purview of a very strongly patriarchal society. So they're reacting as good women in a patriarchal society ought to. And this is the woman ideal. I don't know. I don't feel that I see that, but you have context for this that I don't. And like one of the things I think is so interesting is that the mother-in-law, when she kind of is murmuring to herself about how she mortgaged the farm to pay for the wedding, and there's sort of this understanding that that is what you're supposed to do because that looks good. But there isn't Mm -hmm. any real discussion of that. There's no, and you never see another wedding with huge expense. So it's not like everyone in the village does this and we see it. And so therefore she had to do it too, to save face or whatever. We don't, we don't really get that. So she, I mean, I understand that we're, that there is this sort of unspoken context about you have to make weddings look a certain way, but we don't see any direct conversation about that or, or integration into sort of what the village expects. And I feel that maybe a weaker character would have found comfort and guidance in religion. And we don't get that from her at all, which to me makes her more independent. Mm-hmm. She's not taking guidance from anyone but her own principles. That's why she ends up shooting her son at the end. <laughs> Yeah. And if she had, you know, if she had listened to the village about her son, yes, she definitely would have been better off. So that's, yeah, it's not like her decisions are always admirable or anything like that, but it's, it's a really complicated film. There's much more going on in it than the stereotype (laughs) about it presents, but that's probably always true. Okay. So let's talk about a movie that actually presents the stereotype in sort of a this versus that, which is Sita or Gita. Hema Malini plays Sita, who is the ideal Bhartiya Nari. She even has a name for it. And then she has, <laughs> uh, you know, her twin Gita, which is interesting because, you know, Gita with the Mahabharat and the Mahabharat has women who are definitely more kick-ass. <laughs> Beth, you're a big fan, aren't you? Yeah, I am a big a big fan of mostly because it's a really fun film and that's mostly because of Gita <laughs> to see to see her beating up people with ping pong paddles and roller skating and all that stuff it's just really fun you know unfortunately poor Sita just seems like such a dish rag <laughs> in comparison yes she has the worst life but it's well beyond just her circumstances her whole demeanor is so <laughs> you know I guess, you can't even express I can't even verbally express how how limp and weak and gray and everything (laughs) that character is. Ira, what do you think of it? 
Well, I think she's the ideal Bhartiya Nari. And so we have the Bhartiya Nari and we have Fearless Nadia both in one film in Sita or Gita. <laughs> and that's what makes it so interesting because Gita is typically not what a woman is supposed to be. And we're supposed to think at the end that Gita has, you know, quote unquote, reformed. So she's going to be also a good housewife and, you know, do all the right things. But at least before that, she gets to have a fun life or at least we get to have fun seeing her life. She gets yeah. to swear, to drink, to do stunts and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> I'm thinking about that, what what you said about her reforming. And I, I haven't seen the movie in a little while, but I, that's not an interpretation I have. No. But I would need to go back and watch it again. Because it isn't the ending. I mean, yes, they get married, but isn't it kind of like naughty and funny with the men going into the wrong room and everything? <laughs> Like, well, you know, yeah, but you know, both of them are veiled. So Gita is sitting demure and veiled, which makes her husband think that maybe mm. he's got the wrong wife, because mm. you know his wife is yeah, not I like this. I think one of the one of the things I really liked in that movie is the fact that um, Sanjeev Kumar's character really, really likes Gita after he first meets Sita and kind of writes her off as being too much of a wet dish rag, basically. And, you know, he meets Gita and she's fun and she's fearless and she's up to all kinds of nonsense. And he likes it and he encourages it and he thinks it's charming. That was kind of... Yeah, but, you know, even he wants her to conform to certain things. Because I remember this dialogue once where he tells her that, okay, you're going to meet my parents and, you know, it's not necessary that you always be in fancy dress when you meet them. <laughs> the not-so-subtle point is, you know, dress up like a Hindu woman, a, a, a good Bharti Nari and impress them. You can be what you like to be in front of me, but for the rest of the world, you have to be the kind of person Which is like, expect. you know, um, the standard... Indian life <laughs> in a nutshell. You have your life and then you have the life that you have in front of your parents. And never the twain shall meet. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Bobby, which is about, you know, again, about parental opposition based upon religion and class. It's simultaneously creepy yet <laughs> charming. <laughs> the craze of the 1970s, you know. I don't think every girl wanted to be Bobby, especially, but I do think that every guy wanted Bobby. Yeah, I think that was the whole point of Raj Kapoor's <laughs> filmmaking most of the time anyway. <laughs> every guy wanted every woman in his film. I mean, I can't imagine wanting to go around in a bra and a, I don't know, skirt or whatever the way Bobby does. And she, I think, looks very uncomfortable. I mean, she's 14 years old. I mean, it's just plain creepy at that point. Ugh. I mean, you know that's, that song, the Jude Bole Kawakate? And she's like thrusting out her bosom and kind of like shaking along to it. And I'm just looking at it. And every time I see that, that, that song, I just want to, I don't know, like cover my eyes and sort of cringe away from the TV screen because <laughs> that girl is like completely like flat-chested pre-adolescent. <laughs> and I'm just like looking at her do all those steps and I'm just thinking, child porn, child porn. I don't want to see this. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, but you know, that's the other interesting thing about Bobby is she is this, uh, she's a Christian girl. So she's not bound by the laws that, you know, uh, regulate the behavior of Hindu women. So she's, she can be a Bharti Nari and she can be something else too. Pedophilia is accepted in the 
and religion? Is that what we're supposed to take away from it? Ew. I stay away from Raj Kapoor films. After something through Satyam Shivam Sundaram, I'm never watching a Raj Kapoor film unless I'm absolutely like I have to on pain of death or something. Rishi Kapoor, again, in that movie has this sort of questionable flirtation with Arunai Rani, who is like, you know, I'm sure she was just a few years older than he was at that point. But in the movie, she kind of looks like she's old enough to be his very young mother. And... uh, Oh yeah, there's a very, there's a very yeah. thing. And that. Um, you know, and then yeah. there's when she's fairly credited. She's kind of she? half like she's. I think she's paid by her by his father to flirt with him and sort of wean him away from the Christian. This is gross on so many levels. Yeah. <laughs> this. What is wrong with Rockwell? <laughs> but you know she's and she puts on like a really good show for the sake of his father but she's also simultaneously on his side on Rishi Kapoor's side and she wants young love to triumph as well I think and it comes to this disturbing point where I think she actually has a crush on this child of 17 Except I guess, yeah, okay, fine. I, I guess technically speaking, 17-year-old boys aren't exactly children. But um, I don't know. It's just all very disturbing to me. <laughs> I mean, I don't get it. There's like this really disturbing subtext because I don't know like how she's a friend of the family, but there's this whole thing about how Rishi Kapoor's mother really hates her guts and doesn't want her in the house. And his father is like really creepy and just wants her around all the time. So I think like the subtext is that she's his father's mistress or lover or something. And I mean, I might be just making this up completely in my head, but I'm pretty damn sure I saw this. I mean, it's never said out in the open, but obviously when you see the wife being all like bitchy and, oh, are you in my home again? In my home, you whore. (laughs) And, you know, she's like giving that whole vibe. And then the father, the husband is all like, you know, hey, babe, you looking so hot. Do you want to hit my son? And then (laughs) you're just thinking, ew. Especially because Raj Kapoor is Rishi Kapoor's father. Right. He's setting up this world with a dad who sets up. Ugh. I mean, he's directing the movie and you're just sitting there and thinking, ugh, ugh. I have a pain in my tummy. One of the things that I think is interesting about Bobby is how popular it was and how much of a craze it, you know, people, people were just so excited about it. And I'm wondering, what was it that resonated with audiences in that film? And is it young love, you know, kind of getting the, the authority figures and the establishment figures to reconcile to it? So it felt like a very pro-youth, pro, you know, sort of independent, dependence of youth kind of film. Is that the big deal or... I mean, that's how it's always being explained to me, but uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I have a very cynical viewpoint on that. I'd say it's not just because it was young love, because if you look at Hindi films before that point, it was always young love. But for mm-hmm. once, they actually looked 16 and 17. And I think that was the revolutionary thing. Yeah. I mean, look at heroes and, well, maybe some of the heroines actually looked 15 when they played 15, but the heroes, not, not ever before that. 
I think one of the big things about Raj Kapoor's success as a director is that he wasn't shy about depicting sex on screen. Not just, I mean, even when, I mean, obviously he couldn't be too explicit. I mean, my head kind of reels at the thought of what he might do in this day and age. But even with his <laughs> limitations by his time period, I mean, it's just this side of soft core. Yeah. yeah. Not just, I mean, Satyam Shivam Sundaram is like a classic example. But no, it's, it's, it's not what he showed, but what he suggested. And I don't think he would have liked the more liberal uh, depiction now because he was the kind of guy who liked to suggest things instead of actually show them. There was never explicit nudity. There was always suggested nudity in his films. And I think that's what makes it more... It is only the merest technicality that Zinat Aman is not actually naked. (laughs) No, I think that's that's a very important technicality. He wouldn't have liked doing a full nude scene if he could, which maybe not in today's India either. But if he could, he did not seem at all like the kind of person who would want to do it. He just wants to leave really dirty images in your mind instead of actually showing them. Well, it worked. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 